Welcome back, Cal and listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode 52. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. Cal, I'm really excited today because we've got our second guest on the show. Everyone listening in, please say hi to Oliver Anwar. Oliver, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us what you're working on and what gets you excited about life. Fantastic. Well, thank you for having me on. My name's Oliver Anwar, and I am an online trainer and health coach to busy professionals, execs, and some CEOs. For me, what I'm working on at the minute is helping as many people as possible live a healthier, happier, stronger life through health and fitness, trying to debunk a lot of the myths around nutrition that are out there a lot of the mainstream BS that you see with the fitness industry. Helping people really excites me. Being able to travel the world, go to new places, meet new people is also something that really excites me. So that's a little brief overview of myself for you. That's really cool. Have you been doing this for a while? It sounds like this is your main focus. What got you into fitness in the first place? That's a really good question. So I was pretty fortunate growing up. I was always very active and fit. And I used to play a good level of football. So for US listeners, that's soccer over here in the UK. And I was pretty good, but I never made it as a professional, which for me was disheartening at a young age. I got to about 17, 18, and I didn't make it as a pro. This kind of dream of me playing professionally faded away. And I needed to find something else to fill that void. And at the time for me as a very skinny, slender young man, it was going into the gym and learning how to build my body for general self-confidence. At the time, I was going to a college full of big rugby players, and I'm not going to lie, I was insecure. And I wanted to emulate the strength and presence that these guys had. So I delved into health and fitness, and it became a little bit of an obsession for me, which I think some kind of obsessions are good, depending on how you look at it. And I really delved into the body, how to build muscle, how to eat well for performance, and how to really live a healthy life. So I delved into this and I started building a half decent physique and people started to see my visual changes that I was making with my body. And I had loads of questions from people asking, how do you get in shape, man? How do you do this? I'm going on holiday. What do I do with my training? So I decided one summer whilst I was at university to build a website. I never forget this day. I was on my friend's sofa and he told me that I could get this website for one penny, which I think is like less than a cent over in the US. So I paid for the domain, learned WordPress, built this website, and it slowly became my big passion. So from the day that I set it up, I became more and more obsessed with it, started coaching people online. And after working a corporate job, going traveling and running this alongside a few things, it's now my full-time gig four years in. I'm now working with people from all over the world, all online, helping them get fitter, helping them get healthier. And that brings us up to the present day and to where we are now. That is really, really cool. Congrats. I want to say kudos because number one, I'm definitely not at my fitness goals personally in terms of what I believe an ideal would look like. And I know I could focus a lot more there myself. But what do you think makes obsession such an important quality to have? And as you said, a good way, can you define what a good obsession looks like versus maybe an unhealthy one? That's a really good question. I think it's the effect that the obsession has on your life. So 
we can all get into this zone mentally anyway, where time seems to just go away. And obsession for me is when you just don't care about time. You don't care about what else is going on. It's just like you're in this continuous flow, wanting to get better or know more about this one thing. And you're just so curious. And for me, that's what it was. It was curiosity about the body. It was how can I optimize my training a little bit more? How can I improve my diet a little bit more? And you kind of read into every little bit, you study more. And that's a good obsession in that respect, because you're learning more about something that brings a positive influence to your life, as opposed to potentially, let's say you're obsessed with social media and trolling people online, spending your time doing that and getting down the rabbit hole of that is probably not a good obsession. So I think it's the effect that it has on your life, the impact, the effort that you put in from doing it. So for me, the impact of the obsession was building the business out of it and being able to help people. So in my eyes, I see that as a positive obsession. So that's how I would distinguish between positive and negative. Anwar, I just want to say that I have huge respect for people who really make something out of themselves. And you're not an exception in this case. You're one of these people who are motivated want to make something out of yourself and really have so absolutely wonderful job there. And I've been to your website. I find it incredibly clean, incredibly professional. I myself had a small fitness journey. I was overweight for most of my life. And in 2018, I managed to lose 50 pounds with having a good diet. I was working out, intermittent fasting, knowing what goes into my body and what it does to my body, how the fasting works. And what I've learned is that People sometimes say people get lucky in life, but I believe that no one gets lucky getting fit. You work hard, you earned it, and you're passing that on to people who are interested with busy lives. And I was one of these people that I had a very, very busy schedule and that was difficult to come across. So I definitely would have been joining you back then. You would be the perfect guy, but I guess I just didn't come across you. So it's a great opportunity for our listeners out there to feed off of. And if you want to give us a bit more of the basics, things that led you to get to where you are in terms of your actual focus, in terms of your business, in terms of your actual fitness goals. For sure. So we'll start with the business. At the time when I set up my business, the goal was to just have my name on the brand. People know me by my middle name, Ro. So I set a website up as Ro Anwar Fitness. Now that was great because a lot of people in my local area knew who I was. So getting business off the back of that was great. They'd visit my website and they would see me. However, as you might know, with online business, it's a very big place. So having a very generic or random guy as a fitness guy, it's not very specific. Nobody knows who Rama Fitness helps. So what I decided to do was actually rebrand my business at the end of 2019 to the worker coach. And the reason being was because I wanted to help busy professionals. So I worked a corporate job back in 2018, straight out of university. And at the time I was working a nine to five and also trying to get my business off the ground and trying to grow it. And I realized how actually difficult that was waking up at 7am, getting in at 6pm, eating, going to the gym, and then focusing on my business until midnight or a little bit later, trying to get enough sleep, trying to wake up the next day and do it all again, social life, all of that kind of stuff. And it made me really empathize with busy professionals because I was a young single guy and I hadn't even had kids yet. So I can't even imagine what it's like for a family man who's going through that, that has so much on his plate and then is trying to get healthy and fit. And I kind of saw this as an opportunity to help these people that I felt needed it the most with health and fitness and finding actionable ways to be healthy and fit around their career. So I rebranded my business to The Worker Coach, which The Worker stands for a busy worker. And that kind of made a little bit more sense from a marketing point of view. 
I could then really tailor a lot of my products, a lot of my marketing, a lot of the programs that I'm doing towards these people because I was honing in on this specific group of the population. And that allowed me to provide workout programs much more efficient. So working out and getting fit in less than four hours per week. That's one of the USPs of one of my programs. Being able to eat the foods that you like without sabotaging results and finding sustainable ways to lose weight and build muscle. Because the biggest issue I find with people in fitness and when they jump onto a program is it's gung-ho. They yo-yo diet, they get some results for sure, but then they gain that weight back again or they get injured from pushing themselves too hard. They haven't got a sustainable system and way to make fitness sustainable around their lifestyle. And that's what I wanted to focus on is giving people the tools so they can continue fitness for the rest of their life with the right knowledge and sustaining it around their busy lifestyles. That's a very good point. And I've played around with the intermittent fasting as well on and off. And I quite like that one. For me personally, I've tried the 12 to 5 window for eating and fasting the rest. And I find the big success for me was day one super hard. If you can pass day one, it does become routine and your body tends to be aware that this is your new thing. This is your homeostasis. This is normal. I've become a big tea guy in the last couple of years that I find, especially with me working long hours, keeps me more alert and also helps me not crave food. So I found that was partially the reason for my marginal success. So my fitness journey itself, I would do a mix of cardio. I would try maybe a 45 minute workout, two, three days a week. I seem to be a morning guy. I don't seem to be an evening guy because then I get wired till two in the morning. I can't sleep. <laughs> sure. But what I found was I would get a week of two, three days in and feel really good. And I don't know if it becomes an excuse or whatever that trigger is to stop. But I've never done that for more than a month or two. What do you think makes a person who I consider myself ambitious as well, even people who tend to have some qualities that may get them to do well with business, what makes them hit a roadblock? And how do you think you can break that with people when they come to you? That's a really good question. So I think everybody, especially if you're an ambitious person, everybody has the discipline or the drive to be healthy and fit. That's the thing. It's the case of they can do it in their work. They've become very successful within their careers. They know how to be disciplined, whether it's with their work, whether it's with money, whether it's with sales, they've got it there. It's just transferring that over to their personal life. And what I tend to find is the first thing that people seem to let go when life gets stressful is their diet and nutrition. So they'll show extreme amounts of discipline within their work. They'll show extreme amount of discipline with their family and raise a great family but then it's their health that is on the back burner. So a lot of the work that I do with clients is reprioritization. And especially as you get older, as an older guy, which is guys I typically work with, they need to make that change. It's about framing to them, let's start to prioritize that health and make time for your health. Whether that's starting to introduce walking, whether that is finding a way to work out at home, doing bodyweight workouts, it's about making the time and really prioritizing health as something that's important in your life. Because as you get older, if your health declines, it starts to get more severe for you, right? You start to get infected more. You start to see negative effects with lots of parts of your life. So that I think is one of the biggest parts is reprioritization. And also 
setting attainable goals as well because a lot of people they can be sometimes scared of going into a fitness plan and thinking oh my god i've got so much weight to lose i need to do it in this time it's not realistic and part of my job is actually saying look let's set some actual realistic and sustainable goals what are you actually able to do right i think that's a really big question you should ask people is what are you able to do not what are you intending to do because not everyone can live like a bodybuilder and eat chicken broccoli and rice six days a week and train in the gym for two hours a day it's just not realistic. So it's finding that balance of what can we expect from a program? What are you willing to do? What are you able to do? And then framing that health as a priority. I think that that's really important. That's brilliant, Oliver. Thanks for that. I was just curious as well, if you don't mind sharing with us, maybe what a day in the life of Oliver looks like. Your normal routine, your normal morning to evening thing. For sure. A typical weekday, wake up at around 7 a.m., Fortunately, I can work from home, which is great. So no commute. The first part of my morning is really just routine. So I'll get up, I'll make sure that I drink two pints of water upon waking, and I'll usually fast in the morning as well. That's a big thing for me. So I don't have any breakfast and I'll suppress my appetite with black coffee in the morning and I'll just focus on work from 8am. That morning period from seven to eight usually focus on a little bit of journaling, looking at my tasks for the day, just getting mentally prepared. And I'll just start work from eight until about 12. This will be anything from mainly client work, any sales calls or new client calls, and anything that is very important. You might have heard the phrase, eat the frog, or start with the hardest task of the day. So I try and do that in the middle of the morning. That really helps me get a good start. And around 12 lunchtime, I will have my first meal and break my fast. I find that that's a perfect time for me to eat. And then a couple of hours later, after letting my food digest, I'll train. I'm predominantly focused on weight training. So I embody a little bit of power building and a little bit of bodybuilding in one. For me, I find that that's my favorite type of training. So I train for about 45 minutes to an hour. I don't like to train any more than an hour. I like to keep my workout short and intense. After the afternoon workout, we will have some food. So a post-workout meal, which again, pre and post-workout nutrition it is very important for both performance and recovery. We'll then kind of carry on with some work and I'll try to finish up by around 6, 7 p.m. if I can and then chill out for the rest of the night, have some food, spend time with family, friends, whatever's going on and really just unwind. And that really helps me then get to bed at a good time and sleep well. And sleep for me is really big. So I aim for around eight to nine hours sleep per night. The reason being is it helps with the latter stages of sleep. So when you look at sleep, you've got these deep REM stages. And you know if you're a high performer, these are so important. If you're really busy, these are vital. It's going to help your body recover. It's also going to help your mind recover so you can focus the next day and be productive. And that is a breakdown of a typical day of Oliver. You said something that really caught my attention, which is how important sleep is or your pre and post workout. It seems like there are things to your lifestyle you've developed that are fixed and integral to who you are. And I'm just kind of wondering for example, someone who's overworked. So let's pick the average business executive who maybe sleeps five hours, maybe doesn't focus on diet. How bad is not enough sleep? I guess is my question in terms of your overall health. Have you ever had a day where you didn't sleep as much and maybe being in your peak shape, what kind of effects did you see not getting enough sleep have? For sure. It's such a great question. And I'd just like to preface this with a really good quote around sleep. So Sleep is the biggest legal performance enhancing drug you can take. So take for that what you will, right? Sleep is like the foundation to a great life. And when you talk about the negatives, 
I think everything in your life becomes negative when you're underslept. And firstly, let's look at the body, right? So when you're underslept, let's say you get five, six hours or less, your body or your training performance can drop by around 30%. So if you're somebody that usually could bench press 100 kilos, you might only be able to bench 70 kilos, right? Which is kind of a big amount if you're looking at performance. If you're a boxer that goes 10 rounds, then you can only go seven. And that can translate into a business sense as well. You know, you're only going to get a certain performance from your body and from your mind. You're also looking at things like adherence to your diet. There was a study done that showed that people that were underslept ate an average of 200 more calories per day compared to those that slept well. So over the course of the year, the group that didn't sleep that well, they actually consumed 73,000 more calories than the group that slept well, which is a lot of unnecessary calories just from sleep deprivation. We also know that focus drops when you're underslept and also things like testosterone, right? And if you're a guy listening to this podcast, testosterone is probably one of the most important things to your life as a man, right? It's the thing that gives you drive. It regulates things like libido and your sex drive. It helps you with building muscle. It makes you feel confident about yourself. It reduces anxiety. Testosterone is so, so important. And when we're underslept, we can feel negative effects of testosterone and it doesn't operate as well. So from that point of view, you could see a reduction in sex drive, reduction in erections. You could maybe not want to train as much muscle building is affected and just your general happiness can decline so from the body it's pretty bad your mind as well when you're in that latter stage of sleep that REM sleep which is rapid eye movement a lot of your memories are forming here right and a lot of your learning happens during this time if you have vivid dreams this is your REM sleep so when you don't get enough of that your focus is just completely impaired the next day probably find yourself drifting in and out of focus you find yourself procrastinating a lot more and you're just not operating at your best So I kind of say it's like operating at a five out of 10 when you're underslept compared to if you are fully slept, eight or potentially nine, if that makes sense. No, it really does. And I've had my experience. I can probably count on my hand school exams where you got to work the next day. So I value sleep tremendously too. And I'm not perfect. Maybe seven hours is probably closer to what I get. But I suppose my question is, I've always sometimes been a fan of these Sunday half hour recovery naps for the week. And it seems to re-energize me to my levels that gets me ready for Monday. And is there any science to those afternoon quick power naps, as people call them, or are they all rubbish, as people in UK like to say? (laughs) That's a really good question. I actually had a sleep expert on my podcast recently. So this is a great question, very apt. So when it comes to sleep, short naps can be a good way to re-energize throughout the course of the day. So if you can get sort of 15 to 20 minutes of a short nap, that can actually really boost your energy and help you reduce the fatigue that you feel from a poor night's sleep the night before. The one caveat of that is if you sleep for a little bit too long in the day, what that can do is really mess up your rhythm. You probably find when you sleep for a long period of time, you wake up the next day and you feel a little bit drowsy, right? It takes you a while to wake back up. But when you have a long nap, it's essentially like sleeping again. So you can actually feel a lot of fatigue after you wake up from a long nap because your body's trying to go into this wake up mode. So when it comes to naps, if you can stick to 15, 20 minutes tops, that will reduce the amount of fatigue that you have and mean that you can operate throughout the course of the day with a lot less tiredness, if that makes sense. It does make perfect sense, actually. And I'm trying to think of times where I would nap and I feel like a million bucks. Sometimes on the other side of the spectrum, 
I would feel overtired and I would feel almost more tired than before I napped. And I would wonder what's going on here. But what I find is I don't really introspectively say, what can I change? I just assume that's how it is. And you said a couple of things. My mantra is be curious about the world. So I'm a huge fan of that. I'm glad to see that works well for you. And for our listeners, I'd love for them to embody that and take that in as well, because it does look like that philosophy can be applied to anything in life. And I suppose my next question is, you talk about how things are cyclical, breaking patterns, developing habits. How important is being cyclical in fitness for an executive or for anyone really? And sleep is sleep. I presume you have the same hours every day around the same time. But what about fitness and eating just naturally develop a cycle that works for you? And do you think that people you work with, everyone's slightly different? So how can someone develop a good pattern? Where do they start to That's look? That's an excellent question because a big proponent of what we do on our program is something called bio-individuality, which essentially means there's no one-size-fits-all approach. And you're right, everybody has a different schedule and circadian rhythm. And that's something that is a really important point. So circadian rhythm is the day and night times of the environment. So some people you find operate really well in the morning, while some people don't. There are some people that like breakfast, there are some people that can't eat it, and they're not hungry in the morning. Same goes for training times as well. So every single person is going to be different. And this is going to sound a bit soft, but you should really do what works for you. If you find that in the mornings, you can't operate and you can't eat, then skip breakfast. It's not the most important meal of the day. That's one of the biggest myths that have been put out there. It's about finding your rhythm of what works. And you will know that yourself. It's very specific. And you need to look at when you sleep well, when you train well, when you focus well, you'll know this yourself. And the more that you can stick to that, routine or that rhythm that you've got naturally within you, the better it will be for yourself. Because if you're working towards a schedule that's not in line with you, or it makes you feel uncomfortable, that's just going to increase the stress and the decision fatigue that you have already. It's just going to make life a lot more unpleasant. I think what you need to look at is, okay, this is what my current lifestyle looks like. These are some of the issues I'm having. However, this is a little bit of the routine that I like to keep. Maybe I just need to tweak my portion intake. Maybe I can eat at the same time. Or maybe instead of doing a two-hour workout, I just need to change the time of the workout. Or maybe I need to change the things that I'm doing within the workout. So it's not necessarily the time that you're doing things that are wrong. It may just be the framework around it or your reaction to things that happen. For instance, when you get stressed, you decide to stress eat. If you can kind of tackle these issues and pinpoint where they are, you can keep the same routine, you can work with your rhythm and just make sure your fitness plan is really working for you, not against you. That's a really good point. And my joke about breakfast, by the way, is the words breakfast are breaking a fast. So who's to say it comes at 8 a.m. in the morning and why not noon? So that's how I like to contextualize that. And for me, eating maybe around 11.30, 12 p.m. for myself, I find works quite well. And I find it's more productive because the idea behind overeating, I find a Chinese buffet, a classic example. So really high sugar, high salt, high fat foods make you want to sleep right away. And maybe you can touch on that shortly about diet because some foods make me sleepy, make me not want to do anything productive. And some I find naturally lend more to wanting to do more and are almost the more appropriate type of fuel for me. So I'm, I suppose, a primarily chicken and rice style diet these days. What do you think about that? And just to touch on that, I think why skipping breakfast is sometimes not a bad idea because maybe in North America, 
so many diets are full of sugar, sugar cereals, sugar pancakes, maple syrup for us Canadians. And is sugar not the best for people? What are That's your a really good question. So we'll touch on the breakfast point first. I think breakfast is not that necessary. Now, when you look at your daily routine as someone that's a busy professional or a desk worker, there's not much activity going on in the morning, especially during the pandemic. You probably get up, go to your desk, put the laptop on and start working. So having a five, 600 calorie breakfast when you're probably burning not even 10% of that whilst you're sat at your desk, it just really doesn't make sense, right? It's just not a good use of eating times of energy and it can cause you to gain weight. So cutting that five, 600 calorie breakfast out can help you lose fat, definitely. Now, from a focus point of view as well, you're right. When you're eating sugary foods or even just a large amount of carbohydrates in the morning, it can make you very drowsy. And I know from experience when I have a big breakfast in the morning and it is of sugar, when I used to do that, especially at university, by mid-morning, I was falling asleep. And that's just not the way that you want to operate if you've got lots of things on. You feel a lot more alert. And there's research out there to show that you can be more productive in the mornings when you're not eating something like breakfast, right? It can spike your focus. It can give you more clarity. It can reduce washing up, which from a time point of view as a busy person is great. And you can just crack on with work. And then when your body naturally starts to feel hungry, whether that's at 11, 11.30, 12, have your first meal. So that can be fantastic. In regards to sugar, I think sugar gets a bad name because people think that sugar is inherently fattening. And it's kind of true, it's kind of not true. The reason why people get overweight and they get fat is because they overconsume on calories. Now, when you're consuming lots of sugar, what that does is it releases it very quickly throughout your body. So if you ever eat in a packet of Haribo, you get this spike of energy and you just get this rush. It's great. And then you kind of start to lose that and you start to feel hungry again. So the reason people overeat is because they get that rush and then they get hungry again. It's not very satiating. And then they decide to eat and they eat again. And then that continuous eating is putting them into what we call a calorie surplus where they gain weight. And this cycle happens a lot. So if you can actually change that consumption, instead of going for sugars, going for something that's a little bit more slow release, like oats or, you know, something that's wholemeal brown that really releases a lot slower throughout the course of the day, it's going to not give you the spikes of energy. You're not going to consume as many calories. You're not going to get this spike and then feel tired again. It should give you this nice equilibrium. And, you know, if you're looking for that balance and you want consistency with your energy levels, then this is a really good idea. Reduce the amount of sugar you have. Now, the reason I say reduce the amount is because you shouldn't cut it out completely. Let's say you are going for a workout and you didn't get a chance to eat. You're on a busy schedule and you need a quick hit before your workout. Then some sugar there is actually a really smart thing to do. A banana. Or if it's a cereal bar that's got a little bit of sugar that's going to give you that quick release of energy before you go lift some weights, that can be great. It can give you that energy to go to the gym as opposed to feeling tired and then not going to the gym because you couldn't eat. So with sugar, you've got to look at it. There is times where you should have it. There's times where you shouldn't have it. But overall, reducing the amount of sugar that you eat can be advantageous to your energy levels throughout the course of the day. Just like to add that all that you're saying brings me back to, again, when I start reading and I tell people when they ask me, it's really down to two things. And one of the things would be having a calorie deficit, like you mentioned. And the other thing that worked a lot for me, and I think you mentioned also earlier in the episode was I drink a lot of water. I think that helped me because I'm a big eater. That was part of my struggle. One of the things that helped me was actually eating quality food. So usually a lot of vegetables has helped me because they naturally are high in fiber, low in calories, but water has been quite 
a magical player. And I think it's underestimated too. So I wonder what's your take on that as well. That's a great point. I think water is one of those simple things that a lot of people neglect. And it's not very sexy, is it? You know, drink more water. I just sound like a broken record that nobody wants to listen to, right? It's something that you tell your kids, (laughs) a little five-year-old. So I'm trying to tell big, successful executives to drink more water. They're probably just going to tell me to F off, right? So when I try and talk about water, I kind of say, let's look at the reason why it's beneficial. And when you look at mild dehydration, for instance, studies show that your brain chemistry and your cognitive functioning can rapidly decline with just mild dehydration. So if you're just not drinking up to the minimum levels of water, which for general people would be about two, three liters, it can just completely ruin your focus for the day and your clarity. And when you look as well from a performance perspective from your body, the body is made up of 70% water. Your muscles are made up of something like 75%. So if you're not drinking enough water, your body's not operating at the right amount. Your muscles are not going to perform as well in the gym. This can cause cramping. This can cause you to just not push out those extra couple of reps. So whilst water is not a very sexy thing, like I've said, it is imperative that you just drink it, right? It's just one of those non-negotiables that you need to get down. And trust me, once you get it down, it's going to improve your focus. It's going to improve your training, but it's also going to improve your satiety as well. You know, a lot of the time people are not hungry, right? You're dehydrated because you're not drinking enough water. So I always say to my clients, when you're dieting and you want to reach for that donut or you want to reach for some unhealthy food, drink a pint of water and then tell me how you feel. And a lot of the time, if you're able to do that and bite the bullet, drink that pint of water, You won't feel as hungry anymore. The cravings will go away. It's because your body is telling you, I need something in me, but that something is not food that you actually need. It's water. So the more that you can keep on top of water, it's really important. And I've found that everything throughout my life just gets a lot better when I'm fully hydrated, as boring as that sounds. Yeah, that's really good advice. And even for those who are not going to go on the extreme scale of being active. So just in the office or your day-to-day, I find... I've been doing the tea thing and it gives me the right mix of alertness and feeling full as well and feeling good. So that balance and I'm a big advocate of water flavor and this might sound funny, but I'm very biased on the kind of water I drink. Right now I'm into Nestle water, but to me, Dasani or Aquafina or all those other brands, they taste like plastic and maybe there is something to that. I don't know if there's any science there of the minerals in water or maybe the containers they're in, but I'm very biased to the kind of water I drink. And in fact, when I find a water I like, which I know I love this particular brand, I love it. I actually can't wait to drink some. And to me, it's like a hyper-focused tool where I get mental clarity and I can think and I'm very sharp. And I find that if I'm lacking, you're exactly right. It's not a feeling in the gut, but it's a feeling in the mind where you're slower and you had mentioned things like obsession. It just takes an awareness of what your mental state is and what you normally feel like, which is why I want to bring up those questions about patterns of things that are cyclical, because I think my first guess for someone who wants to jump on your program, I think self-awareness is a huge contributing factor where if I were to jump on your program, I would want to be self-aware of how do I feel? Because if I can't respond to you and say, I don't know if I'm feeling better or worse, you can probably only help someone so much. I think when it comes to the cyclical stuff, it's very important that you have a good understanding of where you are to begin with. So with all my clients, we always do an onboarding call where we'll look at their current lifestyle as it is now with complete 
brutal honesty. So I'll get them to run me through the days, exactly what they eat, when they binge, the triggers for that, exactly what their exercise is, why they don't exercise their sleep. And this can be a little bit disheartening for the client that comes on board because it's ruthless self-awareness. And as somebody that wants to be very successful, I'm sure you guys as well are very self-aware. And that's one of the big trends that you see with people is they're ruthlessly self-aware. But when you look at it at a personal note of your habits, it can be a little bit self-defeating. So what I try to say to the guys is, look, this is where we're starting now. We have to put everything out on the table and look at our current lifestyle because it gives us somewhere to work towards after. So once we start to look at the current habits, we can then start to build better ones and remove the bad ones. So people that come onto my program, I only work with people that want to make the change and want to be committed. So if there's people there that are like, I'm not sure whether I'll commit for the whole 90 days or I'm not going to be fully invested into this, then unfortunately we will say no to them because we want to be able to help people as much as we can. So if we can't get past the first barrier of somebody not addressing the question of what they're currently doing or they're not going to be responsive within the program, it's difficult for me as a coach to help them as much as I can. So we just keep that honesty from the start. And that's why we have such great results. The more self-aware that you can be for your current habits and the way that you are at the minute, the better that you can get going forward. And like I said, the more that I can help and support. And it's truly life-changing. The people that have come through the program, once they've decided to be ruthlessly self-aware and take full accountability and then take on my support, for some of them, it's life-changing. They have their lowest weight within 15 years. Their blood pressure goes from something that's extortionately high down to healthy ranges. And they start to feel empowered by, by the things that they do. So I'd always say, yeah, self-awareness is so important. It's going to be the pillar of the starting blocks to success. That's fantastic to hear, honestly, Oliver. And I just wanted to get your opinion as well on one thing with regards to your business itself. You mentioned earlier that you were able to turn what really is your obsession and passion into your livelihood. And that's admirable. That's something John and I always preach in our podcast and just generally in life. So now it's taking so much time and so much focus that you're giving it your full attention. So what advice do you have for our guests and listeners out there that want to get to where you are and hopefully to grow even more? That's a really good question. And again, it's just going to come down to something that's not sexy, but to really keep persisting with what you're doing. I mean, I've had times where I've launched eBooks and they've not sold very well. I've had months where I haven't made much money and I struggled to pay my rent. Been some difficult times. And one of the things that I just said to myself was, it's gonna happen, right? It's gonna happen. Keep learning, keep persisting, be self-aware as to potentially what you're doing wrong. And I think a big one is to seek help, right? For me, I speak to a lot of people on my podcast. I speak to people through Twitter. I study courses. I really just try and learn from other people because especially if you're a solo business owner, you want to have full control. You want everything to kind of be through you. But there's sometimes where you don't know stuff and you've got to put that ego down and say, actually, I need some help. I suck at this. I maybe need to hire someone to do a bit of work for me, or I need to pay this guy for an hour so I can talk with him about his business. You just need to be, again, very self-aware and not so egotistical because it can be very easy to do that. And I found that previously when you're building something that's got your name on it that you care about, you want full ownership of that, you want full accountability, you also want to not let anyone have control, you sometimes got to let that go and get other people to help you there. And that will skyrocket your business afterwards, you'll find the things that are going wrong, you'll be able to make the tweaks, and you'll be able to learn going forward. So the more open to feedback you can be so self aware is really important. But I think the big pillar there is to just ensure that you know you keep that self belief throughout whatever is going on keep a strong self-image. You know, if you have bad months, take it on the chin, learn from it, keep moving forward, right? Just keep going. And I guarantee it, it will happen. And you'll look back at the times that you can pay your rent and 
that you struggled to get money and clients cancelled on you, you just smile at it because it was just a lesson in the game that is life. And you start to just be grateful for it. So that would be my advice to people with businesses. That's really, really cool. And I really respect and admire that because having humility, especially someone who's reached so much success like yourself, it really shows behind the curtain that I think people listening can do it too. And we're all just on this rock trying to do better in the world and be good people. And I think having that perspective really defines what our long-term outcome is. It defines who we become naturally. So whether it's a fitness goal or a certain project anyone wants to do, I think having that humility gets us to be open to learning, right? I think that's really, really cool. What's your podcast, by the way? It's the first time hearing it. I didn't actually know you had one, which is fantastic. So I want to make sure our listeners tune into you. I run a podcast called Fitness Mastery for high performing professionals. So it does what it says on the tin there. You know, it's about trying to master your health, your nutrition, your training around a busy career. And there's a mix of content on there. So there'll be solo episodes from myself running over very specific topics, actionable topics. So 10 steps to optimize your sleep and debunking nutrition and training this things that you can just listen to and just get some really good advice to get a pen and paper out and just write things down because that was kind of what I wish I had when I was younger just actionable no bs approach to kind of health and fitness that's one side of it and then the second side of it is getting guests on from the health space so as I spoke about previously we had a sleep expert on most recently we get lots of online coaches health experts doctors just people that are really knowledgeable in the health and fitness space to discuss their journey through life. We also get other busy professionals on as well that are performing physically and in their fitness at a high level too, so they can share their insights. So it's just anything fitness, health related stories, actionable advice. And I've been doing it since the middle of last year. So we're still quite early on, but it's got a nice little niche. We've got a lot of good guests on. So if you're interested in listening to that, then feel free to tune in. Yeah, I will definitely take a look. That sounds something I'd be very interested in. So Appreciate you sharing that. And I suppose I had one more question, which is you had mentioned calories are a big fundamental to lifestyle, to whether or not someone will reach their fitness goals versus falling off the wagon. How important is the prescription of type of workouts? I know you had mentioned weight training. From people I know who are into fitness, they always talk about muscle groups and training on a certain day and how important is the type of workout? One of the big issues I think with weight training and fitness in general is people get stuck into the micro and they don't really focus on the macro. And what we focus on is training principles and looking at the bigger picture. So a lot of people will say, is this workout split the best? So they'll go, okay, should I train chest once a week with arms or should I train full body, right? And there is a little bit of a difference. If you can train your muscle groups twice per week, then fantastic. That's the most optimal for muscle building. However, if you are still lifting more over time, so progressing within your workout, lifting more sets, lifting more reps, doing more total work throughout the course of the week, regardless of how many times you train that muscle group, you will still make progress. So this is like the king principle of training. If you're listening to this and you take one bit away from this podcast about muscle building, then it's this. If you can increase your sets, reps, weight, or the workload that you're doing throughout the course of weeks, months, over time, then you will make progress, whether you train your chest on a Monday at 2 p.m. or twice on a Thursday at 3 p.m., right? Like there's this big overarching principle that, that needs to be followed. 
The rest is really just fine details. So if you like the fact that you can do one muscle group per week, just get a big chest pump on Monday, wait until next week to get another chest pump, then that's fine, right? As long as you're sticking to that one key principle. I also think that reducing the amount of work that you do throughout the course of your workout is really important. And this is one thing that a lot of people don't focus on. You probably find that people or yourselves, guys, you work your muscles until failure or you just keep going until you feel the burn. Now, that's great, right? It's pushing your body, which is good. However, you don't need to push it that far to get muscle building results or to see progress. It's a case of, like I said, sticking to that one principle. So if you can focus your workouts on lifting more over time, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to train to failure. And what that's going to do is that's going to then aid your recovery. So you're going to wake up the next day and not feel as battered from the workout because you've actually stuck to this training principle instead of just working balls to the wall and feeling really fatigued the next day. So that can be a really important one. It can also be a net negative if you're doing too much work. So if you're doing too much weight training or too much lifting, too much volume, we call it, then what that can do is that can impair your recovery. It's just the law of diminishing returns. So if you can stick to a workout split that is sustainable for you, however you like to do that, increase the amount of weight or volume you do over time whilst being able to manage recovery and not pushing your body too hard, then you're at the sweet spot. That is what I call the peak of the mountain. You're working out, you're working your body quite hard, not too hard that you have to not recover. You wake up the next day, you can feel good, not get injured, continue that way consistently, and then sustain that throughout a longer period. And the more that you sustain, the more that that volume goes up gradually, the more that you can make progress long term. So I hope that that makes sense. I've kind of dived into a lot of stuff. But yeah, really just that key principle of lifting more over time and prioritizing recovery is very important the times and how you work out doesn't really matter too much. Solid advice there. I hope our listeners are taking notes because honestly, you mentioned a lot of the fundamentals of what you need to do. And honestly, I'm loving every bit of it. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, that's very good. And it makes a lot of sense because conceptually, we've said it before, be better than yourself yesterday. It's not a race against anyone else. Life's a journey. And I think applying fitness as a journey as well to your own self is super important. And it's almost like, well, why didn't I think of that? It makes perfect sense. And it's actually abundantly clear that that's the case. It makes a lot of sense. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Just one more thing before we wrap up here. What about someone who has gone through some personal injury? So I think part of the people who have a defeatist attitude don't even believe they could be who you are or get to that level. So maybe executives are hyper-focused and they're workable, but what if someone had a back injury or had a leg injury or a sports injury? What's your advice to them overall in terms of overcoming that or maybe some kind of exercises to improve where it just seems insurmountable? It really is going to depend on the type of injury, obviously the severity of the injury and the state the person's in. But I think reintroducing things that are very low impact, low intensity are a really good starting point. I think when people have an injury like that, they want to get back to their best straight away, right? And if you're ambitious, you're like, I need to get back quickly. I need to get back in the gym. I need to be squatting. Let's do it. And really what you need to do is take a step back and say, how can I build my body back up progressively so I can get to the point where I can do that safely so I don't get injured again? Because if you've been injured, and I'm fortunate enough, I haven't been injured for years because I'm very sensible with my body. I know what I'm doing. I know when I'm pushing it. And I'm not stupid with the stuff that I do because I know that if I'm out for six months, 
that's going to absolutely ruin me. I like to train as much as I can. So really taking a step back and saying, what low intensity stuff can I do? Things like walking are fantastic. Building up just a capacity to walk is great for your posture, general strengthening your whole body. It's super underrated. As well as stretching, doing any kind of core stuff that's not too intense can be fantastic. So full body stretching routines are really good. Doing 10 minutes a day of that to stretch out your body, increase your range of motion, and then some core work around that. If that's just yoga, some body weight work, that can be absolutely fine to do. And that's going to build up your stabilizer muscles, stretch out your body, increase your range of motion, and just set a good base for you. I would then say you kind of need to look at the injury specifically and where is kind of this injury and is there any doctor's advice that they've told me of what I can't do. But you then want to start to increase the amount of work that you do. So you don't want to just keep doing the same stuff. You want to increase the stress on your body because your body needs that stress to kind of adapt and make sure that you're strong again. So you want to progressively go into the gym and do some weight training, be it very light, cut the amount of sets down, the amount of reps you do, and also really nail your form because a big reason people get injured is because they lift with improper form. So if you can get your form nailed down, start to lift with a little bit of weight, start to build that base strength up, you can then increase that weight a little bit more. And then be it that you're doing all the things that you've been told and following the doctor's orders, you can get back to a really fit state. I know people that have slipped discs and really broke bones, and they've got back to a healthy fit state. Of course, they've got to be cautious on kind of what they do. And sometimes there's specific things they're told not to do, but there's still no reason why you can't be healthy and fit. There's tons of exercises and things that you can do. But I think the big message here is be really progressive with what you're doing, build up that walking capacity, build up your core stretch, and then slowly start to add resistance to those main compound exercises. And you should be good to go. That is amazing, Oliver. So much useful information that you shared with us. I really want to thank you for coming on with us today. That's been fantastic. Tremendous amount of good information. So everyone definitely check out Oliver on all his social. Is there anything you wanted to plug in terms of your own? Yeah, for sure really enjoyed this i think this is a fantastic podcast and if you'd like to connect with me you can mainly follow me through twitter my handle is at roanwar so r-o-a-n-w-a-r the same on instagram i'm mostly active on twitter so if you'd like to reach out to me on there ask any questions then feel free thank you so much so with that said we'll wrap up today's episode that was methodical millions episode 52 If you like to follow future episodes, you can find us at methodicalmillions.com or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback. Thanks, everyone.